Welcome back, my friends, to the Big Book Podcast. My name is Howard, and I'm an alcoholic. Sober since January 1988, one day at a time. This episode, number 35, begins the cover-to-cover reading of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, originally published in 1955. It's comprised of a preface, two forewords, the doctor's opinion, 11 chapters in the main text, 37 personal stories, and six appendices at the end of the book. In an effort to present a flawless audio version of the second edition, these episodes will reflect all of the changes that were made to the first 164 pages, which, incidentally, remained untouched in the third and fourth editions. Though most revisions were minor, a word here, a sentence there, none of them affected the context of the AA program of recovery presented in the second edition. As for the 37 personal stories, 30 of them were new stories added to the second edition over 110,000 words of new material. If you've never read the second edition, the stories, or case histories as they were often called, will be brand new to you. And now, the preface and forewords to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book. Alcoholics Anonymous The story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. New and revised edition. Published by Alcoholics Anonymous World Services, Inc., New York City, Copyright 1955. Preface This is the second edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, which made its first appearance in April 1939. More than 300,000 copies of the first edition are now in circulation. Because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists a sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume, describing the AA recovery program, has been left largely untouched. But the personal history section has been considerably revised and enlarged in order to present a more accurate representation of our membership as it is today. When the book was first printed, we had scarcely 100 members all told, and every one of them was an almost hopeless case of alcoholism. This has changed. AA now helps alcoholics in all stages of the disease. It reaches into every level of life and into nearly all occupations. Our membership now includes many young people. Women, who were at first very reluctant to approach AA, have come forward in large numbers. Therefore, the range of the story section has been broadened so that every alcoholic reader may find a reflection of him or herself in it. As a souvenir of our past, the original foreword has been preserved and is followed by a second one describing Alcoholics Anonymous of 1955. Following the forewords, there appears a section called The Doctor's Opinion. This also has been kept intact, just as it was originally written in 1939 by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. Besides Dr. Silkworth's original statement, there have been added in the appendices a number of the medical and religious endorsements which have come to us in recent years. On the last pages of this second edition will be found the Twelve Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, the principles upon which our AA groups function, together with directions for getting in touch with AA. Forward to First Edition This is the forward as it appeared in the first printing of the first edition in 1939.
We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. It is important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folk, we cannot well carry on our occupations in such an event. We would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. When writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we urge each of our fellowship to omit his personal name, designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Very earnestly, we ask the press also to observe this request, for otherwise we shall be greatly handicapped. We are not an organization in the conventional sense of the word. There are no fees or dues whatsoever. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. We are not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. We shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from this book, particularly from those who have commenced work with other alcoholics. We should like to be helpful to such cases. Inquiry by scientific, medical, and religious societies will be welcomed. Alcoholics Anonymous Forward to Second Edition Figures given in this forward describe the fellowship as it was in 1955. Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Already, continues the early text, twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in other communities. Sixteen years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. Groups are to be found in each of the United States and all of the provinces of Canada. AA has flourishing communities in the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. All told, promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possessions. Some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the augury of a much larger future ahead. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck in Akron, Ohio in June 1935 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day 
he had also been greatly helped by the late dr william d silkworth a new york specialist in alcoholism who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by aa members and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages from this doctor the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism though he could not accept all the tenets of the oxford groups he was convinced of the need for moral inventory confession of personal defects restitution to those harmed helpfulness to others and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon god Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic that alcoholic turned out to be the akron physician this physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma but had failed but when the broker gave him dr silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster he sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in nineteen fifty this seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could it also indicated that strenuous work one alcoholic with another was vital to permanent recovery hence the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the akron city hospital their very first case a desperate one recovered immediately and became aa number three he never had another drink this work at akron continued through the summer of nineteen thirty five there were many failures but there was an occasional heartening success when the broker returned to new york in the fall of nineteen thirty five the first aa group had actually been formed though no one realized it at the time a second small group promptly took shape at new york to be followed in nineteen thirty seven with the start of a third at cleveland Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York, who were trying to form groups in other cities. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. It was now time, the struggling groups thought, to place their message and unique experience before the world this determination bore fruit in the spring of nineteen thirty nine by the publication of this volume the membership had then reached about one hundred men and women the fledgling society which had been nameless now began to be called alcoholics anonymous from the title of its own book the flying blind period ended and a a entered a new phase of its pioneering time with the appearance of the new book a great deal began to happen Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the noted clergyman, reviewed it with approval. In the fall of 1939, Fulton Ausler, then editor of Liberty, printed a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York office which, meanwhile, had been established. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. 
businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, and it was found, to the astonishment of everyone, that AA's message could be transmitted in the mail, as well as by word of mouth. By the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller, Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends, to which he invited AA members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires. Inquiries poured in again, and many people went to the bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. By March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then, Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had become a national institution. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? Soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. As we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live, so we had to evolve principles by which the AA groups, and AA as a whole, could survive and function effectively. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, that our leaders might serve but never govern, that each group was to be autonomous, and there was to be no professional class of therapy. There were to be no fees or dues. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. There was to be the least possible organization, even in our service centers. Our public relations were to be based upon attraction rather than promotion. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. And in no circumstances should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter public controversies. This was the substance of AA's 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 177 of this book. Though none of these principles had the force of rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. Today, the remarkable unity of AA is one of the greatest assets that our society has. While the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, public acceptance of AA grew by leaps and bounds. For this, there were two principal reasons, the large numbers of recoveries and reunited homes. These made their impressions everywhere. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program. 
but great numbers of these, about two out of three, began to return as time passed. Another reason for the wide acceptance of AA was the ministration of friends, friends in medicine, religion, and the press, together with innumerable others who became our able and persistent advocates. Without such support, AA could have made only the slowest progress. Some of the recommendations of AA's early medical and religious friends will be found further on in this book. AA is not a religious organization. Neither does AA take any particular medical point of view, though we cooperate widely with the men of medicine as well as with the men of religion. Alcohol being no respecter of persons, we are an accurate cross-section of America, and in distant lands, the same democratic evening up process is now going on. By personal religious affiliation, we include Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Hindus, and a sprinkling of Muslims and Buddhists. More than 15% of us are women. At present, our membership is pyramiding at the rate of about 20% a year. So far, upon the total population of several million actual and potential alcoholics in the world, we have made only a scratch. In all probability, we shall never be able to touch more than a fair fraction of the alcohol problem in all of its ramifications. Upon therapy for the alcoholic himself, we surely have no monopoly. Yet it is our great hope that all those who have as yet found no answer may begin to find one in the pages of this book and will presently join us on the high road to a new freedom. This concludes the reading of the preface and forwards to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm grateful you listened. Stay tuned for episode 36 featuring The Doctor's Opinion. Download and subscribe for free to the Big Book Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Pandora, CastBox, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or listen at our website, bigbookpodcast.com, where you will also find transcriptions of chapters in the main section of the Big Book. Also, join our Facebook group, Big Book Podcast Listeners, where you can share with fellow listeners. If you enjoyed listening, I'd be super grateful if you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find us. And please, share this podcast with your friends and anyone you know who has a desire to stop drinking. It may be the only version of the big book they ever hear. Mm-hmm.